J. Guru Dave. Registration is now open for Tom's 2024 Australian tour. Once again, Tom will be giving knowledge sessions and group meditations, as well as a four-night, five-day rounding retreat in Jeringong. If you haven't learned Vedic meditation yet, Tom will be teaching Vedic meditation while in Sydney, as well as advanced techniques to those who have already learned Vedic meditation. Tom's Australia tour runs from June 6th to the 30th, and you can find out more at tomknowles.com slash Australia. Sahana vavatu, sahana bhunaktu, sahaviryam karavahai, tejasvinavatitamastu, navidvishavahai. As we get older and time feels like it is speeding up, can we slow it down like it felt for many of us as children? Yes, indeed. Most of us can remember being a child and being told, well, you have an hour before bedtime. Maybe your assigned bedtime was 8 p.m. And as a child, you might have been told, well, you've got an hour. It's 7 o'clock now. And how you could make that hour last, that hour from 7 p.m. to 8 p.m. could feel to you like you could have worlds of adventures during that time. And then as we grow older, as people say, the days may be long, but the years are short. People start to experience weeks, months, and years clicking by with the most phenomenal speed. Generally speaking, happier time passes more quickly. And one of the reasons why, as we age, we have the capacity to experience greater and greater happiness and happy time tends to pass quickly. I remember once being in a long-haul flight, and by wonderful coincidence, that's the way I pronounce coincidence, because I don't consider coincidences to be random. I consider them to be a, a thing that coincides with the need of the time. By wonderful coincidence, I was seated right next to an old friend whom I'd not seen in more than 10 years. And this long-haul flight was one of those eight-hour jobs. I know there are much longer ones in the world, but this was an eight-hour flight. We got talking, catching up, and the eight hours went by in a jiffy. It seemed as though only an hour had passed of talking and the plane was already descending and preparing to land. We had so much fun talking to each other and catching up. And so what is it that makes time seem to pass more quickly. It is a function of happiness. That's the oddest thing about it. Can we restore that sense of time going more slowly? Interestingly, we can. And if you wish to be a master of the way in which time passes, all you have to do is be a simple witness of the passage of events. Generally speaking, Time tends to move very quickly 
when we are so involved and so engaged and we are serving ourselves helpings of happiness, time seems to pass quickly under those circumstances. If you want to slow time down, it's very simple. Generally speaking, it will require quite a degree of solitude. Let's call it blessed solitude, where you assign to yourself any period of time, five minutes, five hours, doesn't matter what, and allow yourself simply to experience the room in which you find yourself, or if you're outside, the outside place in which you find yourself. And instead of trying to think of something other than where you are, let your consciousness go to the five senses. What is it that I'm feeling on the level of touch? Tactile sensations are all through the body, everywhere. We generally, when we think of touch, we think of the hand, because the hands are more laden with sensation receptors than other parts of the body. But if we allow ourselves simply to experience the tactile sense from the tips of our toes all the way up the legs and through the body and out through the hands and then up the neck and through the face and the top of the head and keeping eyes open, allow that sense of touch to dominate for, say, three or four minutes and then shift to the olfactory sense. What are you detecting olfactorily? meaning smell, fragrance. What smells are you smelling? Give that three minutes, then move to taste. What are the variety of flavors that you're experiencing on the gustatory sense? Taste, then move to sound. What are the faintest sounds that you can hear in the background? The very faintest sounds. In most places that people live today, it's car engines or the movement of vehicles. There could be other background sounds. Maybe there are slight little clicking sounds caused by a temperature change. Maybe there are sounds of birds way off in the distance or nearby. Sounds typically we tend to ignore because we're so intent on thinking the thoughts that we're thinking and then move to sight. What is it that the eyes are capable of seeing right now? What are the eyes actually seeing? What is the variety of sight that you're taking in? What about the subtlety of sight? Is there anything between you, the knower, the observer of an outside phenomenon, and that outside phenomenon? Right now I'm looking at the floor in the room in which I find myself, and on the floor is a rug woven by expert Navajo women weavers with a variety of geometric patterns on it. So I can see the geometric patterns on the rug, and then I am the knower, the observer. Is there anything that lies between me and that rug in the visual field? Well, in my case, yes, there is a lot that I can observe that is lying between me and the rug. What is it? Some people might report trillions of little tiny dots that they can experience lying between the object of sight and the seer of the sight. To what extent have you examined this lately? Three minutes on each of the senses. Sense of touch, taste, smell, sight, sound, not necessarily in the sequence in which I revealed them just now or explained them. You can do them in any sequence you like. You'll notice time slowing down. The moment you decide to become the observer of the perceptual field, time will slow down. And if you do three minutes on each of the senses, that's 15 minutes that 15 minutes will feel like an hour. And so we do have access to the ability to slow time down. The main way of doing that is not filling time up with all kinds of thinking and doings. When we fill time up with lots of thinkings and doings, then time passes quickly. If we want time to slow down, all we have to do is be an innocent witness of our five senses. Come to your senses and time will slow down. It's a very effective technique, by the way, of de-exciting the mind and body and getting back in touch with 
your ability to be the knower, capital K. I'm the knower, I'm the self. I'm witnessing what's coming through my five senses. Time will immediately start slowing down for you. So we have access to that. We can do that. It's a very enjoyable experimentation to do as well, just so that you feel a little bit more of the master of your domain of time. Most people who complain to me that time is passing too quickly are people who are absent-mindedly, utterly and thoroughly engaged in thinking and action. They've never allowed themselves simply to be a witness of their five senses. So it's a good thing to do from time to time because it's also good to realize yourself as the master of the flow of time. Jay Gurudev. Hi, Tom. My name is Tobias and I'm calling from Gadigal land in Australia. The Euclid telescope was launched this week and it got me wondering, what is dark matter? And what does that mean for the way we see the universe and how we should and might live our lives? Greetings from Hopi land to Gadigal land. And thank you for the acknowledgement of the indigenous owners of the land in which you find yourself. See, the thing is that what we interpret as dark is an interpretation based on what might be considered to be the rather puny capability of photon gathering of the human eye. The human eye is restricted in its capacity to be a receptacle for photons. For those of you who are unfamiliar, a photon is a quantum of light. A quantum of light, let's think of it, and this is only an analogy, the fundamental packet of light a little ball of light that travels in a waveform. It doesn't travel in a straight, absolute straight ruler edge line. It travels in a vibratory line. That is to say, up and down and up and down and up and down as it travels. A photon of light, the smallest packet, a quantum of light, is in fact detectable by the human eye if the eye is dark adapted and if the eyeball belongs to someone who practices Vedic meditation. It's been demonstrated that Vedic meditators with at least 90% accuracy can detect the presence of a ball of light that is coming into a dark adapted eye through a mask that's being worn that has a fiber optic cable entering it. One photon of light can be detected. In general, the human eye can detect as the faintest star in the heavens, a star whose photonic yield by the time it reaches the earth is only 90 photons. So you think about looking up into the night sky there in Gadigal land, looking up at the dark sky if your eyes are well adapted to the dark and there's very little light pollution. The faintest star that you see is yielding up about 90 photons per wave of light. But your eye is actually capable of seeing even a singular photon. What would the universe look like to someone who didn't miss even one photon of light, one whose perceptual capability was so acute that there's not even a photon of light that is missed? Well, the universe would not have dark patches in it. The universe looking out from Earth would be nothing but a canopy of light. Why do we say this? Because Anyone who knows some rudimentary principles about telescopes knows that whether they're earthbound or spacebound, you can zero in to what looks like a patch of darkness in between any two stars, and you can expand or extend the magnification of that dark patch 
and discover that it's filled with galaxies. The dark patch was only a dark patch because of the limitations of our eye or our magnifying devices to be able to see what was actually there. Is there such a thing as dark matter? In my opinion, no. And by the way, I'm not the only one. There are many, many leading edge astrophysicists who also consider dark matter only to be dark because it does not possess the perceptible light phenomena that the human eye can interpret. We know dark matter exists because of it being surrounded by the kinds of particulate photonic matter or electromagnetic spectra that are detectable by our instrumentation. But dark matter probably does generate its own form of what we might call light if only we had the eye to see it. So how do we interpret dark matter? Perhaps we interpret it as matter that is moving in the direction of the unmanifest. We have the unified field that has two aspects to it. The manifest unified field, being which has become something, is no longer non-being. Just as ocean that has begun undulating, turning itself into waves, is not non-ocean. Waves are not connected to the ocean. Waves are undulating ocean. Waves are ocean. So like that, we have the manifest, and then we have the unmanifest. Manifest unified field, unmanifest unified field. So that kind of behavior of photonic nature, of electromagnetic spectra nature, that is perceptible by our instrumentation or indeed even our own eyes, would be that which is coming out of the unmanifest unified field, moving into and having moved into the manifest. Dark matter would be that aspect of the manifest world that is reverting back into the unified field, moving back into the unmanifest unified field. Going from manifest into unmanifest would be darkness, would be interpreted as darkness. Is there anything at all that can be seen there? Well, this is all a question of the degree of capability of perception of the knower. So even if we can only perceive that which is dark by virtue of that which is illuminated that surrounds it, we can nonetheless see the dark. We can see it because it's framed by that which is non-dark. Dark to me means moving toward the unmanifest, and light to me means that which is issuing forth from the unmanifest. This is something worthy of contemplation and further discussion. As regards how these ideas might impact our lifestyle, our style of life and living, we need to have that consciousness which is capable of encompassing the totality of unmanifest and the totality of manifest, and to develop that discernment which knows which of these elements is moving back into its unmanifest source and which of these elements are in the process still of emerging from the unmanifest source. By having that consciousness, which can discern all of this, we go beyond all grief. Why do we go beyond grief? Because grief is caused by a feeling that something that is being called back into the unmanifest is leaving me. And when we can see that the I, the sense of I, 
quotes-unquote capital I, the I is no longer simply yet another feature of the manifest world, but the I is everything that there is. I am the unmanifest unified field. I am the manifest unified field. And all things either are in a process of issuing forth from me or reverting back into my unmanifest nature. Then this is the transcending of the concept of death, which then on its own is also the transcending of the concept of grief. Jay Gurudev. Hi, Tom. This is Maya from Sydney. Could you please speak about the difference between being passive and surrendering to what is happening at the moment? I find that in my quest to surrender to what's happening, I'm starting to become a little bit more passive and perhaps not living out to my highest potential and living a life where I'm waiting a little bit more than I should. Thank you. Hi, Maya. What a great question. And it's indeed phrased a little differently, the exact question that was asked by a great warrior, Arjun, on the battlefield 5,000 years ago, sitting in the no man's land, just prior to the commencement of a battle. And the battle was going to be with his cousins and their army, and he and his brothers and their army were on the opposite side of the no man's land. And to his great good fortune, Arjuna had with him as his charioteer, the embodiment of the absolute itself in the form of his teacher, Lord Krishna. And in this consciousness play, Arjuna asks pretty much the same question you just asked. We're surrendered to a process of evolution. Actually, Maya, we're surrendered to the process of evolution. What is the difference between that and simply being passive? Krishna gives him a very powerful instruction amidst all the different instructions he gives. You must never be passive but you must be surrendered. What does that mean? Surrendered means that I'm not rigidly attached to non-activity. If nature tells me to place an arrow on my bowstring, to draw it back to the fullest draw, and then to release it toward its intended target, I surrender to that. If nature is telling me to take my time, having knocked the arrow onto the bowstring, having drawn it back to my ear, for me to take my time in that fully drawn position to acquire carefully the target and have a moment of exhaling just before releasing the string. Doing so is not passive. It's surrendering to the instruction from nature. When nature says, go, we go, and we go unhesitatingly, Maya. When nature says, don't go yet. It might be saying, stay at full draw. Keep your arrow fully knocked on the bowstring at full draw, but don't release yet. Stay, 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 now release. And so we are wanting to be very good at detecting from nature's intelligence what it is that nature is intending us to do and in what timing. Surrendering means I surrender to that bigger intelligence and let it be my motivator. I act in the behalf of the big self. I act in behalf of the big self and I may suspend in behalf of the big self for the sake of timing, for the sake of the power of the timing of it. But surrender must never mean a choice that the individual human makes to be passive. If the individual human makes a choice to be passive, that individual human is not actually surrendered to nature's intelligence. Surrendered to nature's intelligence means 
use me, but I'll wait for my instruction before I go into fully-fledged action, but use me. And provided that we have that willingness for our individuality to be used by cosmic intelligence, we are surrendered. Never make a choice to be passive. Make a choice to be surrendered, on the other hand, yes. That's probably the best way to think about that, Maya. Jai Gurudev.